Hello and welcome to the Winners Never Quit podcast. Start your week the right way with a laugh and a dose of motivation. Listen to the stories of our guests, learn from their experiences and how they have built a winner's mindset. Hosted by myself, Jack Jarvis. And if you could like, follow or subscribe to the podcast, I would really, really appreciate it. Now today... I'm joined by a very good friend of mine, traveller, YouTube sensation, Adam Radcliffe. How's it going, brother? Mr. Jarvis, how are you? Mate, it's good to see you, buddy. Very good to Just see you. Just come back from Africa, um, looking very tanned. Thank you. I'm doing my best. Yeah, you know, you're doing all right. And um, mate, we start every podcast the same before we get into it. So how do you define winning in your life? You're lucky I've done my homework, mate. I knew you were going to ask that. I <laughs> know, oh, I've listened to a few, and I'm a, bit, I'm a big fan, so good uh, lad. Yeah, no, I had a think, and... For me, there's a, a bit of a misconception, but the main thing for winning for me is being the best version of yourself. So when you're facing everyday adversities, things are knocking you back. It's about getting up and, and pushing on. And like I said, improving, being the best version of yourself. You don't need to be the master of whatever domain you're in to be a winner. So if you're a 100-meter runner, you don't need to be winning Olympic gold to consider yourself a winner. If you're a podcaster, you don't need to be beating Joe Rogan's ratings to be a winner. You know? We will do one day. And one I'm day, sure. I'm sure, yeah. But as long as you're addressing your adversity you're getting up and you're improving and you're trying your hardest every single day that's what makes winning for me i think because that that's what they're the properties that are going to get you there in the long run mate i absolutely love that mate because there's so much comparison nowadays online and i see a brilliant tweet can we normalize having a normal nine to five job and not being in debt you don't need to be in dubai 24 7 and it's so true exactly as long as you turn up the best version of yourself mate you can't go far wrong for sure yeah right mate the reason i've wanted to get you on is because we're good mates and i want to hear your story i uh, want to hear all your stories from africa because we've not linked up um since you've been back but what i love about you mate is what about a year ago you were just like right i'm done with this i want to go traveling i want to start a bit of a youtube you've really backed yourself and i'm sure you love it i know you love it because i watch the youtube videos yeah. so talk to tell the audience mate about how this all started and, and how you came about sacking off the nine to five and you've been all over the world over the past year. Yeah, so it came about from a, a huge low point, to be honest with you. So like, as you say, it was exactly a year ago now, June 2022. Uh, and I was sat there in my job and I'd already been scheming for about eight months and I thought, I can't I can't do this any longer. Like I'm I'm saving up. I'm going to have a plan. There's definitely something something more for me out there and this isn't, this isn't hitting the spot, you know. I just turned 25 and I thought, these next five, ten years are going to slip away from me unless I do something about it now. So we got to the the position where it's June or let or let's let's rewind seven months. I, I'm thinking I need to quit. I can't keep going. And then I, I what I did was I decided on an end date. So I I stopped playing that mental battle with myself. Am I going to quit? Am I not? I'm like, okay, I'm doing another eight months. I'm saving up. We're going to have the money to to pursue this dream. Fast forward to summer last year, I thought, okay, that's it. I've bought the GoPro. I'm going traveling. I knew whether I wanted to make it a career or not, I needed to see more of the world and traveling was a major passion of mine. So that was that was the first stop. It was a case of this is the mission to become a full-time adventurer. And so combining that with a bit of fun on the side, obviously with the traveling, I'm just chasing and pursuing challenges wherever I go. What job were you doing? Um, I'll leave the company name out, but I was, yeah. an, I was an operations manager uh, for a huge distribution company. So I was a... Uh, managing up to 70 people at one point working shift um and so anyone that knows anything about the company it's like hugely intense there's no work-life balance it was you know obviously i was in, in charge of all those people but also working upwards of 50 hour weeks and on shift as well so in my second year on my final year there i was doing 7 30 p.m to 6 th 6 30 a.m so 11 hour days 
uh, and that you know what shift yeah, works like yourself it gosh. just mess, messes with your mental health and uh, yeah just wasn't healthy wasn't fulfilling I knew that I was going to lose my sanity if I kept doing it as well so um, I took so many skills from it and massively with hindsight enjoyed the job yeah but in general knew it was time to move on and use those skills for, for something else something where I felt I was fulfilling my own purpose and then giving back to other people as well as well, mate, you went to uni, you went to Loughborough, didn't you? I did, yeah. And you did, studied? Mechanical engineering. Okay, so you're a clever boy. Not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> mate, he's got it all, mate. Good looking, <laughs> smart. What I want to know is, so you obviously go to uni, I didn't go to uni. What was your plan going to uni, or did you just think, I don't have a plan, so I'm just going to go to uni? No, it's, it's the latter, yeah. So, I, And I think it's changing a little bit now, but especially our generation, you know, the, the past 10, 15 years, it's been a case of, okay, you're good at these subjects, that's what you do. You'll find a job in there. You go to uni, you study a similar thing. So it was... Because what I want to know is mechanical mechanical engineering... To adventuring. To Well, no, to... Operations. Operations yeah. manager. Like, how yeah. did that... Yeah, so let's say 16-year-old Adam, he's good at maths and physics. They were like my strongest subjects. And, and someone comes in and does a talk and said, engineers are really good at maths and physics. Yeah. So I thought, okay, this You're is... You're like a real-life Superman, aren't you? Clark Kent, <laughs> bit of a nerd, and then takes yeah. off the top. He's just absolutely Well, that ripped. was it. You've seen skin the, lean. You should have seen the old glasses I used to wear. And <laughs> I little, have seen them. <laughs> yeah. They're awful. Little, little skinny rat, yeah. So um, I'm 17 years old, and I'm thinking, okay this is probably the path for me. Like everyone's going to uni, you know what it was like, like mm. 90, 95% of people were trying to get into uni somehow. Yeah. Literally like everyone I know went to college. Um, I was one, I think I was the only one that like joined the army. I don't think anyone got an apprenticeship. My best mate who's now a sparky was like, yeah, I'm going to go to college, be a PE teacher. He didn't want to be a PE yeah, teacher, exactly. you know, it's, but it's just like, yeah, you've got to it's, go to it's college. It's the path. It's yeah. what everyone else is doing. So, um, decided mechanical engineering was broad. It had good, you know, job prospects when I finished and it would lended itself to my skills. So I went and did that. And then by the end of that course, I enjoyed the the challenge, but I was like, I do not want to be doing physics behind a desk for the rest of my life. I want to be doing something more stand up. So then with my operations manager job, it was a bit of data analysis using the degree, uh, like critical thinking, and then also people management as well. So I was like, okay, this ties in nicely with a bridge between what my skills are and what I want to move towards because I love like managing and inspiring people mm. and being part of an operation as well. Yeah. So then that's how we tra- transition into that. Uh, from where we were yeah and then you realized nah this isn't for me and yeah it's like a a, a battle with yourself and you're thinking there's this famous clip from uh, joe rogan podcast where he he talks about when he used to do a a full-time job and he thought just like this life is not for me like there's something else there's something else out there this isn't going to satisfy me i'm not going to live a quiet life of desperation i need to find something that lights my fire have you seen the quote um it probably might be the same quote and he says if you're stuck in that grind and you've got kids, because it's easy for you and I, mm. for so I, you know, when I rode the Atlantic, to just think, right, I can take a five-month career mm-hmm. break, and we'll talk. It still takes a lot of bravery, though, to sure, to yeah. sack it. I'm guessing you're on a pretty good wage, yeah. and no one, well, people have trodden the path, but it's not the done thing, is it, to like, right, I'm on a good wage, I'm going to sack this off and, and just go work for no money. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Travelling. But he talks about it, and he says, you need a plan. You need a plan, and, and I'm guessing you utilise sort of that thing, and you're like, right, in eight months, I'm fucking done. I'm yeah. going. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Like, I give... So, two points I want to make. One is I give the perception online on YouTube and Instagram. It's like, happy-go-lucky guy, kind of, oh, I'm stumbling across, making content, whatever, whatever. But behind the scenes, like, it's it's all focused around this this long-term goal of becoming, you know, a full-time adventurer. So, it's, everything I do is intentional, you know. I'm trying to... Everything I do is for the story, whether it's on YouTube or for, you know, getting the best content and inspiring the most people. Uh, and like you said about having a plan and having the privilege to go after it and do it working that job gave me huge context for that because there were so many people 
whether they were immigrants or nationals, they come in, they've got someone knocked up at the age of, you know, 17, 18, and they've all of a sudden got... Easily to, done, mate. Yeah, easily, you, you know. You know more than most, <laughs> well, <Jack>. <laughs> <laughs> we'll definitely edit. Babe, if you're listening, Adam doesn't... I barely even know the guy. He doesn't know anything. I don't... Yeah, God, he doesn't... Only just met him. Uh, edit that. <laughs> anyway, <yeah. laughs> back to my deep speech yeah. about... Um, uh, what were we d- deep speak about you know people uh, maybe people getting in a situation yeah, exactly so they're in a situation like you've got now the socio-economic situation where you're having to provide for a family you've so you've got a partner that's trying to make ends meet as well and then you've got three kids that you're providing for you can't jump ship and try something new and work for a year for no money when you're in that situation you know you're constantly trying to trying to make ends meet and so i've encountered so many of these people where they've got themselves into that those situations and it's it's unfortunate and so i think this is something i've heard on the internet a fair bit like one of the major keys to success is not messing up majorly like in the early days so avoiding big mistakes keeps not that not that obviously having kids is a mistake but you know putting yourself on the on the back seat and not being able to pursue what's what's optimal for your yeah your life goals. Um, that's so true. I mean, and I always say, whatever you're doing in life, as long as you're happy, it doesn't matter. Mm. You know, and if you do want a family early, that's absolutely fine. But what I mean is, as soon as you've got other people for, to provide for, you can't be selfish. Like you and I can be very selfish. Yeah, We can go, drop of a hat, go. And it's just so, not having those ties makes it so much easier, isn't it? Mm. And it's like planning that into your life as well. So obviously I don't want to be I don't want to have to be or have the ability to be selfish in 10 years time. You know, I want, I want a family. Yeah, I want same, kids to provide for. So it's like taking advantage of this situation to be as selfish as you can to set up your future empire, as it were. You know? Yeah, 100%. So we've quit. Um, we won't name them. Yeah. And talk me through what was the first thing when you sort of set out? Because you've got quite a pretty pretty big following now. You just shy of 10K on um, YouTube, nearly 100,000. You're 8,000 on Instagram. But it, it wasn't always like that, was it? You literally started with none. So talk us through the sort of the first few months of traveling and just what drove you. Yeah, it's a weird, tran- you it's a weird transition. And it's also the imposter syndrome in your head as well. Because if I, you know, I, I go traveling, I've just taken off from Heathrow. I'm in the Philippines. I'm on an island. People are asking me, what are you doing here? And I'm like, well, I'm kind of just traveling, but I'm also kind of trying to make this a full-time career, you know? It's like, oh, you do YouTube, you're, you're making videos, you want them in the videos. How many f- subscribers do you have? 200. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's a weird transition to go from want to be the guy to like, in, like now I consider myself like almost the guy and then yeah. like, you know, finally making it. So uh, yes, for context, it was well, obviously everyone starts. Their, I started the YouTube channel a year ago, zero subscribers. And then I started the Instagram a year ago as well, but I had a thousand because I previously tried to like yeah. push it a bit. Um, and the goal was just, in, uh, YouTube growth it was like telling stories I went away in October and I and I've previously relied on YouTube when I was struggling with life to just vicariously live through other people you know be able to turn on a video escape to paradise for 20 minutes and then get on with whatever challenges you're facing in the day so I'm thinking I'm away from October to March here I'm going to provide that for so some that was people. October 2022 yeah is that when you went away yeah see I thought yeah because I always thought you were away like when I was away rowing but that wasn't no, the case yeah no it was literally only you know nine months ago now yeah. that I started that's yeah. nuts yeah yeah and it was just pumping out pumping out the stories a combination of like having fun a bit of hedonism but also like completing challenges so I learned to dive for the first time learned to surf and um, was just exploring like desert islands in the Philippines telling some good stories um, and it got to the point where YouTube was slowly trickling up Philippines helped a lot with the YouTube then I got to Australia for Christmas and all of a sudden, one picture, it was me, topless, obviously. All my, all my Instagram's topless, so <laughs> yeah, you haven't yeah, seen yeah. it yet. Because <laughs> he's got nothing between the ears. No, that's exactly. Got. I've got to compensate for something. <laughs> so I'm, I'm on a boat. It was after I'd swam with dolphins in, uh, in Bali in Indonesia. 
and it was a beautiful beautifully aesthetic fo- photo if i do say so myself but suddenly instagram just caught onto it yeah and it got like maybe eight thousand likes and i thought hang on this has never happened before everything else was getting like 200 300 yeah, yeah, likes yeah. And I thought I may as well capitalize on this. So what I did then was I made a pledge to myself, like at least every two days, I'm going to pump out some good, some good content on Instagram and, and focus on that. And then just rode the wave all the way up to 80K almost, to be honest. Like it was, it was wild to start with. It was like one and a half thousand followers a day for about yeah. two months almost. Um, just like smashing the reels, smashing the photos. Yeah. And people just got on board with, with the journey and like living vicariously through me. And I hope a combination of that Picking up fitness advice, picking up mental advice as yeah. well, you know, and so inspiration. What I want to know is, you and something you said then, your struggles, and that's why you thought, right, so I've used YouTube to get help me get through some tough times in my life. That's why I want to start. But tell us more about those struggles, mate, because like you said, you're a happy-go-lucky guy, mate, on, on YouTube. Yeah. So tell me more about that. So look, um, as well, mate, on your Instagram, I wouldn't look at you and think, oh, that guy's struggling. Yeah. Or has struggled. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, obvi- obviously, that's that's the case. And that's and no one ever shows the bad sides yeah. of, of any aspect of their life. I think it was, as I alluded to before, in terms of choosing a path, it was a case of, I always felt like there was something better for me out there. And I was just following the steps, doing my best, and the good days were going to come, you know? So mm-hmm. whether that, like, yeah, if not anyone's not seen a picture of me when I was, like, 16 to 18, I was skinny no confidence like built like the side of a fiver exactly that used to run around in the shower to get away <laughs> very good i'm only taking the piss a little bit now because we're about to go to the gym after this and i know you're going to absolutely school me <laughs> so he's going to get his own back you're Don't... giving you're giving me extra motivation yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um but no like like no confidence got no attention from girls and i was like uh, i bet that's changed well <laughs> can we cut that <laughs> i'm kidding it's fine um <sighs> and thinking like you know it's like that that quote in fight club it's like we're all told we're going to be movie stars and rock stars and and then we slowly grow up and realize that it's not the case you know and i, and I was still like holding on to that i'm just a kid i'm when i grow up something's going to happen you know and I'm, i go through the process so it's it's school i'm working on my body at through uni get got a good degree like in the shape that i want to be pushing on completing challenges and then get the job and then i'm like okay when does when does it happen? When when do I feel like I'm on on the path that I want to be on? And then that's where obviously the switch was made. So it was kind of like a, a life of quiet desperation, I guess you could say, from the ages of when you start really thinking about your future. You know, from the ages of about fourteen to twenty two, it was a uh, yeah, constantly thinking, what what's my life going to look like? Is this really where where I go from here? Does that yeah. make sense? No, it does, mate. It does. But what was the I know we've we spoke about it, but can you pinpoint a moment where you just thought, right, if I want to leave this sort of quiet desperation as you describe it and go on and do bigger, better things, what was sort of the, can you pinpoint one moment or is there not one moment? Yeah, honestly, it, so it's kind of building and building and building and I and I don't know where I'm, where I'm going to get the activation energy or the strength to go and make a change. And there was actually a moment, so October 2022, which is seven months before I quit the job, I... I'm not much of a crier, Jack. I don't know about you, but I probably cried about three times in the last 10 years. So it's yeah. only when like something hugely bad or like the worst thing that's happened to me so far happens that, I, that I'll cry. And so I'm looking at myself in the mirror about to start a night shift at work and I'm thinking, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like I'm, I'm at the end. Like I'm going to lose my sanity if I, keep, if I keep going. So that's kind of where I thought, okay, we need, we need a plan here. Yeah. And it was actually reading, you know Aldo Kane? Yes, I yeah. do. Well, I don't know him personally. <laughs> yeah. Follow him. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was actually reading his book that was a major catalyst. Life on the me. Edge. Yes, yeah. that's the one. And he talked about how 
it, it, kind of a very very similar journey of like he goes through this he comes out of the army and he's like okay what what do i do now like i can't i can't find that that purpose and so he went and worked if i remember correctly on an oil rig doing some deep sea diving like high paid job where he didn't enjoy it he just got on with it and then he started his he's a rope specialist and obviously an adventure expert yeah um and seeing him have the strength from nothing and the confidence from nothing to go and quit his job and pursue what he wanted kind of made me think there's nothing stopping me yeah. from following my my dream dream job because it yeah. was a case of I'm going to leave this job I could just get another one and be happy enough and like be happier similar money but yeah. work nine to five yeah. and then you're like oh this is a bit better all right yeah, yeah. What, what's I can't I, someone talks about it and it's like it's the region beta paradox you're thinking about I think yeah I think who's your favorite podcast yeah Chris, Chris Williamson and he, and he talks about it and it's like yeah um, the most dangerous place is comfort yeah. where things aren't that bad because yeah. when things aren't that bad we don't need to change you know it's like oh we'll just stick this out I'm, you yeah. know I'm, I'm in an alright job you know I'm okay I'm pretty happy with my missus so when you get into that you're like oh okay nothing needs to change it's only because it maybe got so bad for you that you're like right yeah exactly it's the, that activation energy to, you mm. need to make a change you know it's like you point, put a um there's another analogy where you put a frog in cold water and you slowly heat it up and it boils to death. But if you throw a frog into boiling water, it's going to jump out again. You know, yeah. it's a it's I a like similar that. concept. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, were you? I thought, that was, I that's the end of the analogy. Yeah, that's, that's a brilliant analogy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, mate, tell me about you've been traveling now and then um, tell me about the first part. What was one of your favorite parts of that first bit before you went to Africa um, and climbed Kilimanjaro? Yeah, there's a lot, and I know that's a really hard. It's a hard question, yeah. but there's one thing that majorly springs. Like, to if mind. anyone's going to go Southeast Asia, what would you recommend? Honestly, my favorite country. I've been to all of Southeast Asia now, not all on this trip, but yeah. I've done everything except Myanmar. Yeah, um, and I was so, literally about to go. Been to Myanmar, <laughs> have you? <laughs> there we go. And Laos, actually, yeah. they're the no- only two. North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> that's not. I don't. Yeah, think that's it's, not, it's not Southeast um, Asia. So the Philippines uh, is my favorite country, and so it's like if you watch the beach, the DiCaprio movie. No, nah, never heard of it. No, of course not. So um, that's what kickstarted a lot of Thailand's tourism in yeah. the early 2000s because yeah, yeah, people saw that and they thought, oh, great adventure! I'm going to get over there. And yeah. now Thailand had an absolute boom over the last 20 years. Yeah. The Philippines is better nature like better landscapes but without the attention that thailand's had yeah. without the degeneracy if i can, yeah, can call yeah, it that yeah. and so you've did got you go to pattaya when you're in thailand i didn't know no you've not missed much i've never been <laughs> there either <laughs> so whatever you've heard about it i wouldn't know i didn't go there you go yeah you signed an nda did you yeah <laughs> <laughs> right moving on philippines please yeah so <laughs> <laughs> yeah in the philippines it's it's a country made up of thousands of islands as well so if you want to get between them you've got to take boats you've got to fly so it's much harder to travel around and that puts a lot of people off but there's an island on the or like a region on the west side called palawan it's getting yeah. instagram famous now uh, and you've got two major aspects so uh, basically you need to go there asap yeah like i do think in the next you know 10 years it's going to be, turn into a new thailand so yeah. now's the time to go to the philippines and i've got loads of recommendations go and watch my channel yeah, yeah. <laughs> great plug great plug yeah but um so we i did a boat trip uh, it's called the tau expedition it's one of the best things i've done in my life and it was a four-day remote island expedition from uh, a place called el nido to Coron in the philippines and you stop on islands that either are completely uninhabited like desert islands most beautiful things you've ever seen or they've got just a few locals like populations of less than a thousand where they're just you know knocking about on the yeah. beach and in in wooden huts so i've been mate i've actually been to the philippines when 2013 after typhoon haiyan and again we were just sort of island hopping but mate really beautiful place and that's after a typhoon so it'd been exactly. it'd been walloped by that cyclone but yeah mate, 
totally agree, mate. Really beautiful. The people are so nice, and mm. and it's a it's a cool place. But sorry, go on. I'll let no, you just yeah. One one major thing to talk about in that experience was how cathartic and relaxing it felt to be on a desert island. You waking up at sunrise. You're going to sleep just after sunset. You're with a good group of twenty people. No one's on their phones. You've not got no internet connection. You've got no technology. You're just enjoying the moment. Uh, you've got enough food to get by, and you're having fun. And you're, you know, like you're barefoot. You're in the ocean. You're showering and outside, yeah. sleeping on a beach up five meters from the from the shore. You, obviously, it sounds like a dream, and it, yeah, and it, it, and it is a dream. And so, going from that that transition of like crying in the mirror to to being there, it was like, okay, you made the right, yeah, <laughs> you made the made right, the right decision. decision. Yeah, no, awesome. Something that people will be interested in is how do you stay in shape when you're traveling, mate? Because like you just said, we're on a minimal diet. You're on a desert island. I can't imagine they've got a brand new beaver rig and plates up to 200. So how do you stay in shape when you're traveling, mate? There's a lot that goes into it. Um, it's about being intentional with sort of everything you do. And I say to people quite a lot, don't use me as a benchmark for try what I'm doing now to try and get in shape because I'm not building any muscle now. I'm just maintaining, right? And it takes a lot of energy and effort in order to build muscle. But because I've put the groundwork in the nine, eight, nine years of bodybuilding, I know exactly what it takes to, to maintain my muscle uh yeah and that and that and that's all there is to it and maintain my body composition while i'm on the move so say for example i'm going to be on one and a half there was a time in the indonesia where i was on one and a half thousand calories a day for five days on an, on an expedition yeah. and so so working hard and eating less yeah exactly and for me for context i need about three three and a half to maintain my weight um but obviously i'm still in shape how did i do it what i did was i knew before the expedition i was going to be doing that so two days before i front loaded some calories i was on about four thousand a day mm. um I trained obviously when you get the opportunity to eat a lot and train i'm doing it i'm training at least three normally three times a week unless i'm you know doing an expedition or yeah. have no access to even the floor to do press-ups or whatever like when you're on, yeah. on a boat you can't even do press-ups yeah. but um and then I do you, would you ever try and do press-ups on a boat yeah yeah so, maybe so, so when um, we would be on ship when I was in the military and you'd be on the bench press or whatever because obviously these ships are a lot bigger probably than the ones you were on. Yeah. It's quite funny when the ship rocks you might have like 60 on and you're like throwing it up like it's on just a, an on empty a bar. Yeah, on a oh, barbell. Okay, yeah. And then when the ship pitches <laughs> you'd be like that. Oh my 120 God. coming yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, you're just like that. Jesus, <laughs> like hanging on and then it pitches again. You're there yeah. absolutely repping Strategic it out. timing. Yeah, so it, it could be quite fun, you know. Yeah. Um, but no, so it's just, about, it's just about being smart with your choices and using the knowledge that I've gained over over the time, and also not trying to build muscle. So mm. then I would come back from the the island and I would backload calories again. So I would have like four thousand calories, four and a half thousand for a couple of days. Um, and in general, when I'm traveling, I like you've got to forego some social norms in order to fulfill the greater purpose. So yeah. like, if I'm eating dinner with people, sometimes I'll just order two mains, and they're like, "This who's this guy ordering two mains?" Yeah. But and o often I, it would be at least two lunches or two dinners yeah, uh, and then protein shakes on the side. I take away some protein with me normally. Um, and that is just doing those little things in order to, to maintain and uh, another plug, if you don't mind. No, so it's also, not. so I, I get no um, monetary gain from this. It's just completely free value. I made a, uh, an email list. Yes. Where I've seen. Yeah. So I'm giving out my top 10 levers for staying in shape while on the move to anyone that wants to download it. All you have to do is go to my Instagram bio uh, and story highlights. You'll see that you'll see the link, click on it, put your email in it'll go straight to your inbox and it'll tell you the t the 10 major things that that i use to stay in shape while traveling in there 
kind of no-brainer hacks, but unless you really think about them and implement them, that's what Mate, that's the key to my success. You know, it's only obvious if you know. Yeah, it's Obviously, true. You know, it's that's why I lay it out as well because I take stuff for granted. But it's like unless I really do. What you think, mate? If when you were starting out, you didn't know. It's all a lot trying at trial and error. Yeah, just seeing what works, pick up bits of information. So no, for sure, you know, a young lad or a young lass starting out on their journey would really appreciate stuff like that. And I say I'm the conversation with my little brother I'm like oh, I'll do this and then he's like oh I tried that and it worked I was like yeah because I've been fucking doing it for another 15 years mate <laughs> yeah exactly um, but no that's absolutely fine mate plug away so we've done Southeast Asia recommend the Philippines you've come back to the UK and that's when we we trained together I absolutely schooled you on the ropes you did yeah I was hoping you wouldn't bring that up <laughs> <laughs> you can watch that that's also on youtube um, i've deleted that one yeah <laughs> no, and maybe. then we went to and it, sorry then you went to africa mate mm. so tell me about africa insane and so i was kind of in a frantic mood when i came back to the uk obviously we saw each other and i was back for a month and i it was miserable that i didn't see the sun i saw the sun twice i think when was that back in march march, march yeah. horrible month mm. this year um, and I love the sun, obviously. Mm. Like I hate hate winters. I hate winters in the UK. And so I got two weeks in. I was happy to be back, seeing mates, being being uh, productive. And then the the latter two weeks came around, and I thought I need to get out of here. So I didn't even plan the whole trip before I went away. I just planned the first bit. I, obviously, Kilimanjaro was stop number yeah. one. Um, planned that. Got my safari semi booked in. Got a couple of flights booked in, and then we were away. So it was like planning on the go. I didn't know how it was going to go. There was a bit of anxiety there, and it could not have gone better. Like yeah. everything. Everything exceeded my expectations. So I did a month in Tanzania. Yeah. And I did t three weeks in Cape Town, a week and a half in Namibia, and then went and did a week in Zanzibar on like the island off the East Coast after. Oh, my God. Um, and yeah, so much I can, can delve into, but probably the most applicable to the podcast in terms of Tanzania were... Uh, the week on Kilimanjaro. Yeah, let's talk about it because it didn't... Didn't go to plan. Yeah, it didn't go to plan, <laughs> did it, mate? No, so I'm a very, like, headstrong, confident individual and I thought, you know, and uh, as you're the same, like, you don't know how you're going to react unless you test yourself. Yeah. So I'd never been to that kind of altitude before. I'd been, been to... You've been 4, Been to 4,000. Yeah. yeah, so, like, slept at... I've slept at 2, 8, climbed to 4, come back down again, had no adverse effects with altitude. Yeah. Uh, and this time... I've done a very similar thing. So I did Grand Paradiso in June, July last year, maybe? 2022 again mate no adverse conditions i mean don't get me wrong I, I felt short of breath near the top yeah but i wasn't sick or anything i didn't feel like i was gonna cream in mm. so i can imagine the sort of mindset you went into kilimanjaro um how high is kilimanjaro just under five nine it's like five eight nine five meters or something yeah, okay, like that cool yeah. so you've you're going in you're confident yeah maybe, maybe a little bit overconfident no no oh, not okay. overconfident it was like i was nervous about how the altitude would hit me i knew it would hit me i didn't take diamox it's a common pill in mountaineering to help you acclimatize quicker it helps you breathe uh, deeper and longer uh, obviously to speed up the acclimatization process so i thought i won't do that and let's just see see how we go um, so for altitude context, I'll run you through the numbers really quickly. Come from England, like 50 meters above sea level, fly to Arusha, 1,000 meters above sea level. Next day, we drive to the starting point, 1.8K above sea level. Then we walk up in day one up to 2.8K. So already in a day, I've gone from 1,000 to 2,800 meters altitude. Yeah. Day two, 2,800 to 3,800. Day three, we go up to 4,600. So it's like the climb high, sleep low. We go up to 4.6 and we come down to 4. And so when we got to 4.6, the guides were saying, yeah, people start to feel a bit of altitude sickness here. So I was thinking, oh, look at me, yeah, no issues. Like, yeah. this is going to be fine. Fantastic. We're going to go down. Oh, I don't feel anything here. You can feel the, the lack of breath, but it's nothing like when you get to like 5.9. Um, but yeah, then I was like, okay, sweet. Let's let's go back down, head down for dinner, get down to four grand. Um, Mate, what are you eating when you're on the, when so you're going up the mountain? So Kilimanjaro is pretty special for one of the seven, uh, summits. The seven summits. Yeah. As in, you're heavily encouraged to support the local economy and 
have a load of porters. So I had four porters, a chef and a guide um, because it's like the done thing. And I yeah. didn't realize that I was paying for so many porters initially. Uh, you can do it without legally you need a guide. Uh, but yeah, that's just the way we did it. Yeah. So, so it was um, basic like rice and uh, rice and soup and a tiny bit of meat and, you know, things like that and pasta dishes with yeah. vegetables, a lot of vegetables and carbs. That yeah. was it really. Um, so we get down to 4,000 and it's kind of like 5 p.m. and I'm thinking, I feel a bit funny here. I've never really suffered with nausea in my entire life, but feeling a bit funny. Dinner rolls around 7 p.m. and I'm thinking, yeah, I don't feel great, but whatever. Like, I'm going to sleep it off. We're sleeping lower. It'll be fine when I wake up. Go to have my first mouthful of soup and everything comes out. So I'm like, no, can't do this. Run out of the tent. Throw up seven times that night in total from 7 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. So after the first throw up, I get into bed and it's like clockwork. Every half an hour, you sort of feel your stomach coming up. Like oh, it's just, horrible, just enough it? time to open the tent. Mate, so after my accident... I was on blood thinning injections and uh, I got like about a sickness, mate. And you lay in bed and you're like, oh, I'm going to be sick. No, maybe it'll go. Doesn't go. Yeah. I was sick. <laughs> just I wasn't up. as bad as you, but I was like two hours later sick again. Yeah. And I was so much less mobile than I am now. So it was proper ag, like trying to get to the toilet on my crutches, mate. And oh, not God, ideal. yeah. It's just not <laughs> ideal. Being sick is crap. No. <laughs> Especially like, so I'm in a tent at that height and. Mm it's pitch black so I can't go down the mountain so I'm literally I'm hanging out the side of my tent and I'm throwing up it's 10.30pm and I'm thinking the only thing that's going to fix me is to get down that mountain it's too dark to go down I'm just going to have to suck it up luckily or thankfully that was the last time I threw up that night so I managed to get a bit of sleep woke up at 7ish or whatever felt okay in the morning like stomach was settled obviously you're throwing up everything, all the calories I've consumed Were the previous day you worried day. as in knowing about fitness nutrition and that thinking I've not eaten anything here and I've just spewed my guts up. I wouldn't say worried, just aware. Just like, a, yeah, you're aware, aren't I'm you? I'm aware like that, that I'm uh, dehydrated. I'm aware that my body's going to be running on reserves now. Yeah. Um, but it was a case of, like, there's over a thousand people know I'm, like, care that I'm on this mountain and expect me to climb it. Yeah. Like, the only way I'm not going to get to the top is if I can't keep putting one foot in front yeah. of the other or I'm, you know, if I, or if I keel over, you know? Mate, not to, um, you've been to Tenerife, I've been to Tenerife, but when I was... <laughs> When I was running the Atacama Crossing, day two, violently sick and in within the first 5K. So was dripped, didn't eat anything. And it was a 40K day. Anyway, I keep running, keep drinking, still not eating anything because I know it's going to make me sick. Get to the halfway checkpoint. They're like, oh, keep drinking water. So they forced me down. I literally carried on another maybe 4K and was violently sick, threw everything up. And you, you are aware and you're like, God, I've not eaten anything. And especially in the desert. I was in the um, the Chilean desert, which is quite high as well. Yeah, at altitude. Sure. yeah. What was that like? Three and a half thousand. Yeah, we start at three and a half yeah. grand. Um, but then, to be fair, you you run down to about two two grand, and then you the rest of the marathons at two grand. But yeah, mate, and I I was like, oh, there's no way I can come off, mate. Too many people. Mm. Um, that helps hold you accountable, doesn't it? Too yeah. Many, not relying on you, but want to see you do well, and also you don't want anyone to have that ammunition in their gun, mate, when they go, oh, yeah, but, you know, you wraps on that marathon when things got tough. Yeah, it's like, no yeah that stings, doesn't it? And it's yeah. like every man and their dogs climb Kilimanjaro. It's not exactly a diff... Like, the actual fitness isn't difficult. I, I didn't just... want to say that, mate, but <laughs> I know some old, yeah. old bastards. I think, I think there's like... Eight-year-old is the youngest that's, that's done it. So physically, it's nothing special. It's yeah. just about how your body reacts to altitude. So I was like, I cannot let this beat me. So anyway, long story short, you, we, I just kept creeping up, like had nothing left, didn't eat for over 48 hours, but... Um, yeah, we made it up and it's amazing. Like, I, it's amazing. That's my first time at that altitude. When you're on the final day, that summit push, you start at midnight, you try and get up for sunrise. You're sucking air in as fast as you can, like and breathing as deeply as you can. You're walking at about a quarter of the speed that you would up a, up a hill at ground level and your lungs are beating at 
your sorry, your heart's beating at like three times the speed. You wrote like I don't know one. Probably feels like your yeah. lungs are beating. Yeah, it feels like your lungs are beating at that point. Exactly. You can't even walk at a quarter speed, twenty five percent speed, without having to stop every couple of minutes. Um, and and anyway, yeah, it's just incredible the lack of density of the air. Like everyone always talks about it, but even at you know five thousand five hundred meters, it's it really does get you. So I'm I'm not. It's one of my major passions still now. The next one, as you know, is going to be the next big one, Zaconcagua, yeah, the highest yeah, in yeah, South yeah. America. We were looking to do that together until I've, I've I got tangled up in my parachute. You've ruined everything. Yeah, I know. What an idiot. <laughs> Don't worry. So it's funny. My, my mum and dad said a similar thing to me when I was four years old. <laughs> no, they didn't. I love them loads. Different motivation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's a, a thousand highest. So that's like, or just under. That's about uh, six, seven, is it? Something like that. Yeah, it's just it's just shy yeah. seven, I think. Okay, yeah. You see, I do my uh, see, I do my research. Yeah, advanced, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll <laughs> uh, yeah, be all right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, no, I love it, uh, and I'm going to acclimatize better this time. But no, that was it's nice to be tested like that. Mate, 100. percent And I love, and I wouldn't even it is mountaineering, um, but Kilimanjaro isn't very technical at all. Not at all. Like, There's barely any hand over hand stuff. Yeah, it's just I, walking, I don't, yeah. I don't really get. I don't understand people's mindset. Like, oh, they go, why would you want to do that? And I said, why not? Because it's such a sense of achievement. I think mm. once you test yourself and you've got something like that in your back pocket, so when life gets tough, you go, no, I know I got through climbing Kilimanjaro. Mm. I can get through whatever life throws at you. And I just mm. think now people look for maybe the wrong validations um, rather than going out and exerting themselves and then thinking, wow, I've really loved this. That's some of the best self-worth validation that you can get out there and it just sets you up for any of those challenges that you face it's tests that give you strength you don't know how strong you are and you don't get stronger without you know it's like going to the gym gradually building yourself up and building yourself up and the people that just avoid adversity are the ones that aren't going to be the strongest when when inevitably that adversity comes towards them yeah definitely so we've climbed Kilimanjaro Met and do you want to give a shout out to the guiding company you use because they give you like a cracking deal I think and and by the sounds of it, they were really on the money. Yeah, for sure. And I also did my safari with them and it was an an elite experience. Obviously, I'm not going to talk about animals now yeah. on the podcast, but if you want to watch that video, it's, it was it blew my mind. The Serengeti is incredible. And this company were fantastic. And when you book from Europe and you if you Google now Kilimanjaro Climb, you're paying middle like white middlemen so much money yeah. to, to get the job done. Uh, but this company, Maffi Adventures, M-A-F-I-E Adventures, you'll find their information on my posts or videos. Um, yeah, cut out the middleman. You're going to pay just over cost price. Um, obviously, a bit goes into their pocket, but they're completely fair with their prices. Give you the ultimate experience and in, like an intimate experience with proper local Tanzanian people. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I couldn't couldn't recommend them enough. Yeah. So when you say what was the total cost for that? And do you pay your port separately or is it all included? So it depends vaguely based on the season, um, but it's around 1,400 US. Uh, for a climber to climb Kilimanjaro yeah. and then you're expected to tip your porters because the park fees just for context alone for Kilimanjaro are $800 so Whoa. you're paying like 1400 800 of them are just for park fees so like there's not a lot going into these people po- people's pockets and then you're expected to tip in the region of $250 in t- or $200 in total to, to your guys you know, each? Uh, no in total oh okay so yeah yeah very... so, like, so these porters get paid $10 a day roughly um, and so it's nice if you can give them another 10, you know, just as a as a thank you for, yeah, for yeah, all the definitely. work they do. Uh, but you, when you speak to your company, obviously, whoever you go with, you can, like I said, negotiate how many porters you want um, and the chef and whatever. But I'd, rec- hey, I'd I don't recommend think doing it with, a, with the four. And, yeah, uh, the four. Well, you said as well, like, they're really, really good guys. Yeah. And it also it adds, so we were on low season and it added to the atmosphere on the mountain hugely. Like, yeah. obviously, there was a bit of a language barrier, but to have a little bit of a laugh and to be able to support them and support the economy is a nice thing to do. Yeah. And they're so, like, 
you said I couldn't believe how grateful they were, appreciative, and mm. and they're just you know general, genuinely nice people, aren't they? For sure, and that was a key theme in Tanzania and in Africa in general. I think when you, even in Asia, like when you go to these lower stress places, you know the people that aren't constantly paying parking tickets or filing tax reports or stuck in traffic, they have so much less residual cortisol and stress that they're just nice to interact with. It's not like a, a grumpy Brit, you know. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so. Southeast Asia was Phili- uh, the Philippines. What was your highlight from that trip, um, apart from Kilimanjaro? Because that must have been some sense yeah, of achievement. Yeah. Um, it has to be the Hadzabe tribe. It was that the hunter gatherers. Yeah, the hunter gatherers. I wanted yeah. to. I was hoping you'd say that because that looked so alley, mate. Like, yeah. So tell us, tell us about that. So no one really does this, and it's a bit of a rogue off-piece thing to do. But I actually organised this with Maffy as well because I was friends with the, the head of the company, and he because I'd done the safari and whatever with with him, he, he helped me organise going into the African bush just off the plains of Lake Ayasi. Uh, it was a four-hour drive by like actual road to get there. Something I really want to do, mate, after watching yeah, the video. Should. It looked so awesome, mate. So four-hour drive on road to get there followed by an hour drive just on dust Is to this get there. Tanzania still? In Tanzania yeah. still, yeah. Um, arrive there. It's just me, the driver, a translator. And then we arrive at the edge of their... Um, the translator's like a guide as well, so that was organized. So he knew roughly where, where they would be or where their last known camp was. We pitch up at the camp. He calls them. You can see the call in the video. Like he does this, like call in their language. <laughs> it's pretty wild. I'm just standing there, the only white guy in a 50 kilometer <laughs> radius or like 60 kilometer <laughs> radius. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, so yeah, the, one of the the tribesmen comes out with the bow and arrow in hand. They're always carrying the bow and arrow, always dressed up. Uh, Learn how to greet them. I can't do the clicking noise though, but I did my yeah. best. Um, said hello. I was invited into the camp. Stayed with them for one night, two full days. Uh, hunted with them. The first hunt was like an evening two-hour hunt. The second hunt was a seven-hour hunt, which was intense. Um, and just kind of live with them. They obviously have no access to the internet. They have no technology. They have no. They don't even like wash, but they don't smell because they're like smoke bathed all the time because they're yeah. always lighting fires. But they go down to the river and wash occasionally as well. And that's where they get their, their water from. And they are the last or one of the last hunters. The last hunter-gatherers in Africa and one of the last hunter-gatherers in the world. Really? Yeah. Wow. They, now there's some tourism and the animals are depleted a little bit. Some of them use like basic carbohydrates that they can buy from the town with tourist money. Yeah. But in general, like the vast majority of everything they do is hunter gathering. That's amazing. That's it really is. Amazing. Yeah. What was what was the mo- what was one of the takeaways you took from that experience? How happy they were and how content they were and how selfless they were. Yeah. I think they were the the main thing. So I I did a a bit at the end after I spent the two days with them. I asked them a series of questions based on things I picked up. This is what I wanted you to touch on, mate. And one of the questions was, so you see tourists come in, white people, their ability to travel, their, their whatever, my muscles or my money or whatever it is, and like the fact of... The, 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 muscles? Yeah, I thought they might. I was trying to give myself a bit of credit. But. <laughs> <I bet you laughs> were, all right, fucking hell. Uh, but I was like, anything pick that... Pick me, pick me. <laughs> yeah, anyone, anyone. Yeah. <laughs> so I was trying to think like any reason that they might have to feel a bit of jealousy or envy or want to experience a different life and there was nothing at all it was a unanimous decision we like the life we have we have enough we have what we want there's nothing that you can offer us that we want we wouldn't want to trade lives with you uh, and another question about what their favorite thing about life was and they just described the fact that they're at one with nature they appreciate they go out into the bush they get their food they come back and they're just they're just chill you know like no, none of those external stresses and it made it really hammered home the fact that we're always trying to improve not mentally and physically because i think that's a, a meaningful pursuit but 
you know, acquire more money, acquire more wealth, acquire more things, push on. Crap. More crap, yeah. Things that don't matter and just get cluttered in our mind. And uh, it puts into perspective what you actually need to be happy. You know, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's like having your, your food, your shelter, your water, having your social circle and just decluttering everything else, you know? Mate, I don't know if we spoke about it when we trained together last time. But when I was on the boat and rowing the Atlantic, I told you I didn't fucking miss Rolex, Balenciaga t-shirt, mm. the Land Rover Discovery that I had on the, the sponsorship deal. I missed my friends. Mm. I missed my mum, my dad, coming around with grannies for a Sunday roast, all of that. So I totally, totally know when you've got, like I had nothing on that boat. I was in a seven-meter boat in the middle of the Atlantic. You realize what you actually need and what actually brings you happiness. For sure. And one thing that I thought was majorly interesting as well, something they neglected that you've just picked up on there is friends and family, right? They're constantly in their social circle of 20 to 30 people, however big the tribe is. Um, they get up to 100 people, but they're constantly surrounded by everyone that they care about and everyone that they know about, right? So they're never longing for missed loved ones or anything like that or, or feeling detached from a sense of social connection. But they are longing for food because every single day they've got to go out and get their food and provide resources for themselves. And it's the inverse for us. Like we, All we need to do is go to the, the fridge or the supermarket for our food, and so we're never longing for that. But we're always longing for the that sense of social connection, especially in a, like an ever increasing digital world where we're trying to find meaning and purpose socially, whether it's with your friends and family or, or your wider community, you know? No, totally. I found not. that fascinating. Yeah. Uh, mate, so you've been doing this a year. So yep. what would be maybe your advice for someone that's looking to do something similar um, to yourself? What have you learned? What What's one of the, the things that you don't enjoy about that n- almost nomadic traveler lifestyle adventurer? I've yeah. asked you a couple of questions. Yeah, two there. things. So, so you'll have to you'll have to prompt me if I um so if let's I go get one. So, go, so let's no, go, go let's answer this. So what would be your advice for someone that's looking to maybe do something like this, get on into the YouTube space? Uh, yeah, two th- two things there actually. One of them is you're going to be rubbish initially. Like don't think that you're going to start and you're going to hit the ground running. Your first YouTube video is going to get you know less than a hundred views unless you've really got a load of mates. It's going to be rubbish. As soon as you put it out, you're going to look back and you think. Why did I put the camera there? Why did I put the lighting there? This is rubbish. That's rubbish. And there's also going to be loads of stuff that you don't realize is bad until 20, 100 videos down the line. So it's a case of having that confidence that it's not necessarily going to be what you want it to be, but you don't care. Not that you don't care, but you, uh, you're you not emotionally attached to the outcome. So you, yeah. you go and try your best and you just improve and improve and improve and don't have that. Don't just brush off. You know, you need to be able to brush off any criticism and, and that negative internal stuff. you get a lot of talk. criticism? No, but I, from myself, I guess, right? Okay, so yeah. like, like, and I always say this, the people that criticize you are the ones that are beneath you. They're the ones that are trying to drag yeah. you down again, you know? But what, well, what is it? No one criticizes from above. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that would be a major thing for me if I was giving some advice. And the other thing would be do what you want to do. Obviously, it comes back to run that, your own that, race. that nine to five job. You don't have to compete with anyone, anyone else. You don't have to live in a domain that you don't want to pursue because your parents want you to or, or, or whatever it may be or socially you think you should. Choose what you want to do and pursue it because if you're not passionate about something, the motivation is going to go over time. Yeah, exactly, mate. And then, go on, then what's one of the pitfalls? What, what's something you don't like about this life? If there is anything, you might be... So, yeah, some, something I learned that I wasn't sure about uh, prior to is the nomadic lifestyle is the lack of routine is hectic. Yeah. Like it's t- it, it became too much for me. So my first trip was five months, came back to the UK for a month, and then I went to Africa for uh, nine weeks, so just over two months. Um, and I coped with the, the routine in, in Africa because I managed it much better. But the five months initially, I was I wanted nothing more than to be able to just wake up, 
be able to get food from the fridge, not have to speak to people every day. Like it's 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 tiring. It's intense. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Prepare that in. Work out what kind of person you are, and, and learn. You learn so much about yourself when you're solo traveling. So, uh, it's not all rainbows and <laughs> and pots of gold. You know. Yeah, yeah. You've got to take the good with the bad, and, yeah. and the loneliness as well, because uh, I've obviously lived a lot of my life as I describe with my job as like a, a without sounding like Alan from The Hangover, a bit of a lone wolf. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> that helped a lot like the one man wolf pack the like one man wolf dodgy pack. tattoo on my foot <laughs> is that what you've got yeah mate. <laughs> I was pissed in Bali <laughs> so I knew I knew what it was to be kind of alone with your thoughts and I was very content with that and this has just strengthened that entirely so I think travelling alone is a hugely uh, beneficial to build mental fortitude so yeah I encourage it and you learn the positives and the negatives from it nah totally and then what's next mate what's next so I've got all summer in the UK um, and the money's running out a bit, guys. So what, <laughs> what I'm, what I'm going to do is I wanted to combine my skill set with, uh, I guess the best way of putting it is with uh, the most mentally fulfilling thing for me, which is online personal training. So yeah. I want to be able to provide to, for whatever it is, a, a, a fat kid that wants to lose some weight, a, you know, a fat older man or a skinny kid or a skinny older man or whatever, mm. or, or, or a woman that thinks they can benefit from what I have to offer. So... I'm going to start some online coaching. online coaching. Yeah, um, obviously more more details to follow, but that's what's going to come out while I'm in the UK, alongside another thing uh, and another couple of challenges. Well, I'm not going to say yet, but uh, is it the world record we spoke of? Yeah, slightly different yeah, one now. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, no, I get that. But I'm still ironing out yeah, details. Yeah, you know, yeah, unless yeah. the details are in sewn and, and you know you've got a good chance of doing it. I'm, uh, yeah, no, I get that. So. I get that. Yeah, yeah. And then you'll have to tune in when I get them back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> On series <laughs> when five. I've done it. World yeah. record holder, Adam. Rick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and the so most paper aeroplanes <laughs> made in an hour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How did you know that? Oh wait, hey, intuition. You've got that intuition, Jack. <laughs> so, and then as soon as the weather gets cold, I'm bolting again. So yeah. October is going to come around. I have, don't have an exact date yet, but we're doing Central and South America. So Aconcagua, as I said, um, variety of challenges. There's some insane diving off the West Coast of that part of the world yeah. as well. So um, lots of cool stuff on the way. And that's going to be part three. It's like a three-part series, you know, the Southeast Asia, the Sub-Saharan Africa, and the and the South, South Southern America. America. Yeah, no, so awesome, mate. That's what I'm concerning myself with next. Yeah. Mate, awesome, man. Thank you for sharing. I've loved it having you on the podcast wanted to get you on for a while but my final question mate is if you could give young adam some advice what would it be it's a big question jack it's a great question it's a great question the advice would be and this is the exact same thing that i said at the end of my last q a that I, I uploaded it's you don't need to feel like your life is a 10 out of 10 in order to be happy you don't need to have everything that you think you want in order to be content look back at what you've achieved in the last one year, 10 years and how far you've come. Extrapolate that forward. Like if I take myself back what I've done in the last year, it's incredible what, what oh, I've mate, achieved relative awesome. to what to what I thought I could. And so just because I'm still lacking some, some metrics that I think are going to be important for the rest of my life doesn't mean that I should live my life living in the future, not in the present and longing for those things and not being happy in the moment. So the advice would be enjoy where you're at, look at what you've achieved and just keep working hard because continually measuring yourself against everything that you don't have is not going to give you the the best net happiness for your life if that makes sense i love it and that's some brilliant advice mate and guys that is the end of the episode today if you've enjoyed it please could you follow like and subscribe as it really helps grow the podcast thank you for listening adam thank brother. you jack it's been a that pleasure was wise, mate i really enjoyed Good that fun. One.